All right, welcome everyone. This is Alpha Bunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. episode to catch up with Aurélie Dianaha, whom we spoke to last in early December. The Gilets Jaunes aren't going away, but they haven't either been absorbed by other organizations or forces, and they haven't exhausted themselves either. They're still here. Uh, I'm just going to quote uh, something from, from what I read from, from the business press in France, which said that all the big industrial groups are going to give up bonuses because they're really scared for a time that their heads would end up on stakes. The big firms called the head of MEDEF, France's largest employers federation, and told him, drop everything, drop it or else. They felt physically threatened. So listeners will know that we don't go in for boosterism on this program and we try to be cool and analytical, but that really seems a sustained level of fear from the part of elite and a sustained level of mobilization from the part of Gilets Jaunes. And elites are afraid of where this might end up. And I'm just reading the press on this. I'm amazed by... um, the number of times I've seen references to 1968 or even 1936. So welcome back to Aurélie Dianaha, uh, who's going to guide us through the discussion on the Gilets Jaunes to understand precisely the strength and depth of this revolt, um, catching up with her, what, about three months on from the last time. Aurélie is a researcher at the University of Glasgow and an activist in Potere al Popolo in Paris. Hello, Aurélie. Welcome back. Hi, thank you for inviting me again. It's great to be back on the show. Yeah, it's great to be able to catch up. I really wanted to do this sort of catch-up show when we when we talked in early December, but obviously didn't know if there'd be calls to do so. Um, we might have, be having a show asking what happened to the Gilets Jaunes, but they're still here. <laughs> so <laughs> with, with this sort of surprise, it's carried on since then. Uh, how have the mobilizations been? Have they been bigger or smaller? Have they waxed and waned? Have they escalated? Have they become more or less violent? What's been the sort of trajectory since early December? Yes, well, first of all, I guess um, what we could say is that everybody, the greatest surprise about this movement is that uh, it is still here today. I think nobody really expected it to last so long. I think it's one of the longest movements in uh, French history, uh, at least recent French history that I know of. Um, Everybody kind of expected it to die uh, during the during the the Christmas, the winter break, and indeed during the winter break, after uh, after a, a month of December that had been very very participated and and with uh, strong uh, clashes, uh, quite violent uh, mobilizations, uh, at the end of December during the winter break, the Christmas break and uh, New Year's uh, 
uh, Eve, uh, the mobilizations went a little bit. Obviously, they they lost uh, participation, and everybody was quite surprised to see that in January um, it started increasing again. So we had like uh, every Saturday because you know that uh, the movement uh, mobilizes every Saturday, uh, particularly strongly in in different cities in France. We had uh, increasing mobilization, fifty thousand, eighty thousand, one hundred thousand. Recently, uh, there's been a, a sort of um, general strike and a, a mobilization together with the the unions where uh, officially, uh, according to the unions, 300,000 people participated. And so um, everybody has been surprised by this uh, increasing participation. Uh, contrary to most movements we have seen in France in the past uh, decades, uh, where participation has gone decreasing uh progressively here we had sort of like an undulating participation in, in a way you have some saturdays that are a bit less participated and then it decreases again and so tomorrow it's going to be the, the 16th saturday of mobilization uh in the meanwhile there's still been uh, uh, uh roadblocks uh, occupations on uh, on uh, on roundabouts uh, parking lots. There has been blockades in uh, malls, uh, paytals, uh, uh, commercial ports, uh, logistic hubs. All this has been continuing to go on since uh, the 17th of November. So it's uh, almost three months and a half that this this movement has been uh, going on, and uh, the, the 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 gilets jaunes, the the, the yellow vests have been everywhere on social media but also on the public and uh, private press since mid-november uh they they are commented widely every day since uh, mid-november and they seem to be uh to be to intend to 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 continue so they have already prepared their next um their next acts so i mean this is quite remarkable and it seems quite different from the movement of the squares occupy other sorts of movements which occupied central areas this seems to be much more distributed around france and within a specific area you know as you say occupying logistics areas logistics depot it seems a lot more of a, a sort of a plebeian movement um than these other ones and i mean we can we can return to discuss that and it's something that we discussed in in our last episode of something that was already present uh, with the Gilets Jaunes right from the start. But I wanted to turn to discussing France's reaction to this. Firstly, bluntly, has this punctured France's depression? France, I think, has uh, been occupied by a sense of social and economic and political and even cultural drift over the past decade or more. Um, you know, anxious about terrorism recently, riven even by culture wars. So has this, has the, have the Gilets Jaunes managed to break the post-political conjuncture. How has the climate, how has the atmosphere changed? So I would say that uh, what has deeply changed with the movement is that a lot of people have uh, sort of become aware <laughs> on the 17th of November, something changed in the mind of a lot of people in France from the popular and uh, middle classes who um, became collectively aware uh, of their potential collective force basically on the 17th of November and who became in a way uh, politically aware. Uh, and so 
you can you can feel in French society that there is a degree of politicization of debates about every issue of fiscal justice, uh, social justice, economic issues, um, the, the link between uh, the, 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 the problems of French society and the European Union, uh, the problems of democracy and the institutions uh, and so on, uh, are being debated much more in a much more sort of uh, contradictory way than it used to be uh, before that, I think. Um, clearly, the French government is going through a very deep crisis, probably the deepest crisis that any French government has been uh, going through uh, in the past decades. It's not clear. Obviously, it's it's very unclear what, what is going to happen at this stage. I mean, everything is, is still... Uh, in in progress uh, in process and uh, we don't know we don't know what uh, the government is going to to do we're probably going to know more uh, in about 2 weeks when the the great national debate will uh, take end but uh, for now what we know it seems to everybody i think that uh, france is going through a major uh, moment of its uh, history of its of its popular history. Mm. And uh, everybody kind of knows that it might not be a revolution, but things won't be the same as they used to be because people who woke up, <laughs> all these people who woke up, they're not going to forget <laughs> yeah. about all these things that they are, have been discussing for over three months on roundabouts, in assemblies, uh, and so on. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Macron's great debate which seems to be the kind of often a default response to a sort of crisis where you don't have enough support, but, uh, you know, you want to bring everyone together. And the way that the great debate has been constructed uh, seems to be, as you put it in your Jacobin article, rather circumscribed. So, you know, no questions are off the table, except there are lots of questions which are <laughs> off the table. Uh, so yes. could you tell us a bit about that? And could you tell us a bit in general of what the attitude has been of so-called respectable opinion, you know, the, the media, the middle classes, and so on. Has it been confrontational? Has it been dismissive? Has it been demonizing? Has it been conciliatory? What's been the, the mode of the response from respectable opinion? Mm. Sure. Well, so just to give a bit of context, this great national debate had been announced by uh, Emmanuel Macron during his speech in December, and it started uh, in uh, on the 16th of January, if I'm not mistaken. Basically, uh, a few days before the beginning of that debate, uh, the, 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 the Elysee, the, the, the government published a a letter, which is uh, Macron's letter to, to the French people, explaining basically that there was going to be a wide, a great national debate, including all citizens, and all citizens were going to be able to participate and to uh, to say uh, their opinion about the great teams uh, that are important for the for the French nation, uh, over teams such as obviously fiscality. Uh, social uh, social services, uh, the, the democracy and institutions, the the, eco uh, the environmental transition, uh, and so on. Uh, it was said in that letter that no, as you just said, that nothing would, would be um, uh, off topic. But it was also <laughs> explained from the start that some topics actually 
uh, were off the table because we weren't going to uh, go back and to uh, abolish the, the fiscal measures that had been taken by, the, by, by Macron's government. So basically, there was no, uh, there was no, uh, it was out of question to think about um, reinstalling the solidarity wealth tax, mm -hmm. which is one of the one of the main demands of the of the gilet jaune, or to uh, impose a more progressive uh, taxation system uh, through, for example, the abolition of the flat tax, or through the abolition of the CICE, which is a tax exemption and subvention uh, program uh, that offers 40 billion euros uh, each year to uh, big uh, French enterprises. And so basically it was go going to be a debate only about uh, how to cut some taxes here and to make some um, to to win to 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 make some economies here or there, uh, but none of the real the, the the real question of fiscal uh, injustice and inequality that that is at the heart of the gilet jaune movement was off the table. So let me just interrupt here because I wanted to nail down exactly what the attitude has been, not just from the government but from the media and, and the discourse, as it were. Um, Ben had a question specifically about one dark aspect of this. Well, uh, there's been a sort of a lot of noise and it actually reminds me kind of a bit of the sort of anti-labor messaging from within the right wing faction of the Labour Party in the UK about anti-Semitism in France. For instance, uh, I think Macron has uh, tried to directly connect a uh, recent anti-Semitic attack on a bagel shop in Paris to the protests. And uh, there's been a lot of like uh, promotion of this sort of discourse in uh, including in the Anglo media from French commentators sympathetic to uh, Macron and uh, the sort of useful clowns of the French establishment like Bernard Henri Levy that there's something anti-Semitic intrinsically about this movement. But uh, to what extent is uh, anti-Semitism a real problem in France? Are there elements of anti-Semitism within this movement? And also how is anti-Semitism weaponized uh, in France specifically by this Macron government? Yes. So uh, while uh, Macron and the government are organizing this great national debate and basically using the, the mediatic exposure that they get through this debate uh, to reassert their neoliberal uh, solutions and do propaganda and basically um, prepare their electoral campaign three months from uh, the next um, the next uh, election, which is going to be the European election in May. Uh, at the same time, they uh, repress very strongly the movement and they continue something that they have been doing, that both the government and the media have been uh, strongly uh, doing since the beginning of the movement, which is an attempt to uh, discredit uh, uh, and sort of uh, dehumanize uh, the movement uh, by picturing it as a racist, uh, xenophobic, anti-Semit, uh, homophobic, uh, sexist movement. This dynamic has been going on since the very start of the movement. Um, every time there has been, and there has been uh, acts uh, of uh, of um, 
some 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 uh, some homophobic, sexist, and racist uh, uh, insults, words, uh, assaults, and this has been uh, widely reported by the press. And this should be obviously, and it has been um, uh, condemned even uh, within the movement of the the gilets jaunes. Um, and lately, we have basically seen one of the the latest uh, the latest episodes of this of this. Uh, discrediting attempts with the Alain Finkelbrot's assault, which has been widely, widely uh, reported by the media. Basically, just to put the things back into their context, it, it a couple of... Uh, who, who, who Alan Finkelkraut is. Yeah, exactly. So basically, a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, Alain Finkelkraut, who is a prominent reactionary intellectual um, who is uh, very present on the French uh, mainstream media uh, and who um, has been, I mean, has very clear uh, racist uh, uh, anti-Islam views um, and who is widely hated also uh, in the in general, uh, within the 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 the, the left wing spheres, let's say, uh, he has been assaulted by a handful of uh, gilets jaunes during a, de- uh, a gilets jaunes demonstration a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this scene was uh, was uh, filmed, and it was uh, widely um, reported and commented by the media. Uh, the government obviously immediately took this occasion to. Um, to uh, uh, explain once this movement was xenophobic, anti-Semitic, and that it was uh, sort of uh, manipulated by the extreme right, as they have been doing since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, um, it is true that uh, Alain Finkelkart has been uh, assaulted. And the point here is obviously not to say that, uh, not to uh, sort of... um, um justify this to legitimize this uh but it is also true that these all these acts like like this one have been marginal in the movement but they have been widely reported by the media over and over again whereas the the demands of the movement have been the government can't can't listen to the demands the fiscal and the social demands of the movement but they only listen to uh, the uh, the racist acts uh, or the or the violence basically mm-hmm. that is going. So, so that let me is ask going. you because, and I want to ask specifically about the nature of the anti-Semitism accusation. Because I mean, we know that over the past twenty years, since the working classes have been removed or excluded or marginalized from public discourse, from from the plane of politics, that work the working class is treated broadly speaking, as racist, lumpen racists. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the only form that politics from the working class often ha- takes, I mean, in the eyes of, you know, respectable opinion. So it's not surprising that when the working classes explode onto the scene once again, that the first recourse that elites have to uh, to defend themselves is to accuse them of racism. But I want to ask yeah. specifically about anti-Semitism, because has there been any sort of, I guess, what you could call structurally anti-Semitic discourse from the Gilets Jaunes in terms of talking about inequality, in terms of, you know, conniving conspiratorial individuals or groups, shadowy groups, you know, conspiring to... Um, disempower them and so on. I mean, that's sort of structurally anti-Semitic discourse rather than focusing on, you know, Jews as individuals or groups specifically. Has there been any of that? 
Sure. Uh, no, I mean, and that's probably what, what I think is remarkable about this movement is that it hasn't been structuring around a discourse of nationalism and racist uh, solutions uh, of uh, over the question of migration, uh, but on the questions of social and social social and fiscal justice and democracy. However, it is true that there has been, and it shouldn't be um, uh, minimized, there has been uh, acts of racism, there has been probably some, uh, I mean, I don't know, there might have been some uh, acts of anti-Semitism, but um, I think this has been also completely uh, exaggerated and uh, mis-pictured uh, mis, uh, by the media, because, for example, the assault of uh, Finkelkraut has been uh, depicted by me the several media as an anti-Semitic uh, act. Several media said that the the, 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 the demonstrators uh, told Alain Finkelkraut he was a sale juif, which is not true. Yeah, juif, right? yeah. Jew, which is not true. Basically, he was assaulted. He was told a racist, and he was and he was uh, told. Uh, 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 anti-Zionist uh, and an uh, anti-Muslim, uh, and he was told that's true. Uh, you should you, your place is not here. In other words, you shouldn't be uh, in France. So obviously, this is condemnable, but it's also very marginal in the movement. Although the movement, there has been groups of the extreme right. There has been people who have links with uh, the Rassemblement National of, of Marine Le Pen, uh, other uh, extreme right or far right parties, or uh, little uh, extreme right sects. Um, they are. They haven't been structuring the movement, and they haven't been um, uh, sort of uh, majoritarian in the movement the way the media and the government try to to depict it. Uh, on the contrary, most gilets jaunes keep saying, if you if you go to any any uh, gilets jaunes roundabout, the themes that are being discussed are not migration mm -hmm. and uh, 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 foreigners. The themes debated are fiscal evasion, the privileges of uh, of uh, the the higher classes, uh, the the fiscal injustice. So, I completely refuse. Uh, I completely re reject these these assumptions that the, there is an anti-Semitic problem uh, uh, within the the Gilets Jaunes. There are probably racist people within the Gilets Jaunes movement because um, this might come as a surprise, but. Uh, about 25% of the French population votes for the far right in mm -hmm. France. So obviously, if you have a popular movement with all people from all kind of uh, political, basically, uh, with all kind of political views, who uh, all of a sudden uh, they 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 start uh, uh, rising and they start uh, protesting in the streets, you are you are going to have some people who who mm -hmm. vote for for the far right. Yeah, and, uh, I think it is, and it would be wrong to be you know shocked by that or use that as a way to to. I mean, emerging in such depoliticized times, uh, it's yeah. not entirely surprising that that would be the case. Yes. So let me ask you because there's another theme which has emerged, especially uh, in the last couple of months, which is the question of police aggression. So the Gilets Jaunes has really coalesced, I think, from my understanding, that around this question, resistance to police violence, police aggression. And I don't know, to me, often when protests start focusing on the police and 
police authoritarianism, it often signals a lack of ideas, uh, running out of steam from from the movement, um, because it it latches onto that immediate confrontation rather than looking at bigger political goals. I mean, is this the case here? No, I don't think this is the case. I think police violence has become um, a theme in this uh, movement, which I see as quite a good good news because police violence has been completely absent from the French public debate uh, forever, <laughs> as far as I can remember. Uh, so basically, the media have always been talking about violence during social movements, during protests, when it was coming from the so-called casseurs, so the hooligans of mm-hmm. the of the movement movements. There hasn't been a single word ever about uh, police violence, and yet. We know, and we now know, uh, I mean, and now a lot of people know, that France has one of the most uh, violent kind of police repression, that the France um, uh, police forces use weapons that aren't used in most European uh, countries and worldwide, and that they are making, they are supposed to be non-lethal uh, weapons, that but they have been making a lot of of. Uh, of uh, wounded, of um, people, a lot of people are injured. I, I mean, we're talking about more than 2,000 uh, and 100 people who have been injured since the beginning of the movement. Uh, more than 20 um, people I, have I just, lost their eyes, uh, all this. Um, so, I just want to uh, just also uh, ask a quick follow-up on that specific issue. Uh, so I was reading this morning that uh, there have been 10 deaths in these protests. And that seems quite high for Western Europe, but you didn't, you don't see these uh, yeah. sort of numbers reported uh, when you read, say, the Guardian's coverage of this at all. It's the scale of police repression seems yeah. absent from English uh, reportage. Yeah. So um, it's important to say that those ten people they weren't all uh, killed directly by the police. Only one old woman, Arab, uh, eighty years old Arab woman, who was standing at the, her window in Marseille. Uh, trying to close the window because the demonstration was going uh, through her streets and she was receiving um, gas in her apartment. She tried to close the window and she received a um, sort of um, a tear gas bullet in in her head and she died. Um, so she was a direct uh, a, a death that, that can be uh, directly um Put on the police forces. The other nine people, they were killed on the roadblocks and roundabouts because they were hurt by uh, by cars. Okay, so because you know, as you know, the the Yellow Vest movement has been since the start. Um, its strategy has been to uh, block roads and roundabouts and patals, etc. Some other people uh, who were unhappy about about these blockades um basically committed uh, acts of uh, violence with their car and and with their cars and killed people obviously this could have been uh impeded by the police if uh instead of sending 80,000 police uh, forces every every week to repress the movement the police forces had been used in a in a more sort of protective way and if if the police forces were actually um uh doing their job of, of of protecting the people. But that's just a parenthesis. But to go back to uh, Alex's previous question, so I think it's a good thing that police violence is now 
uh, on the table somehow, that it's now being discussed by the media, it's now really widely in, on the public debate, and the, 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 the Gilets Jaunes movement has been really important in bringing this into uh, into the public debate. Now we, we have had in the past two weeks a condemnation by uh, the European Parliament, the UN, and the Council of Europe have all issued statements um, uh, condemning the excessive use of violence by police forces. Mm. So I think this is important, but it doesn't mean that this is the central theme of the of the movement. Not at all. I don't think so. The central themes are still, as they have been now since basically the end of November. Uh, fiscal justice, social justice, and the the famous uh, RIC, the referendum referendum uh, of uh, from Citizens Initiative, uh, which is supposed to give greater uh, participation to citizens into uh, into the, the French democracy. Uh, so, what are the chances, and what's the process happening with forming or establishing or solidifying? Uh, alliance between the movement and French's uh, still militant trade union movement. I understand that elements of the movement have been quite in favor of this, but there also seems these sort of figures that uh, pop up friendly in this uh, melee of the movement uh, that uh, seem to be kind of instinctually anti-union. Is there a contradiction there? What are the what's happening with the uh, movement in its relations with unions? Yes. So at the beginning of the movement, as uh, you know, the movement started as a strongly um, self self uh, proclaimed apolitical and a uh, trade union, which is not anti trade union, but basically they didn't want any political colors or trade union colors, flags, etc., on uh, the on the roundabouts on the on the mobilizations um and the the relationship between the the gilets jaunes movement and uh, and the trade unions were quite difficult quite complicated at the start because uh, as uh, i said before as you know um a lot of people on the left including most of the trade unions uh at the beginning initially saw the movement as an anti-tax um, a petit bourgeois movement piloted uh, or manipulated by the extreme right, and they wanted nothing to do with this, uh, with with, uh, with with this movement. But very soon after the 17th of November, uh, people realized that uh, what was going on was was much more than that, and that uh, the there was the, the there were claims uh, that were emerging within the movement that were much more than just we want to pay uh, less tax, and so. Uh, um, trade unionists, members of trade unions, have started to be on the um, on the occupations, on the roundabouts from the from the month of November, from the from the beginning, um, not wearing their their colors or whatever, but just uh, being there, talking to the people, and uh, bringing solidarity basically. And they have also uh, sort of. Uh, pushed the, some trade unions, not all of them, uh, through this sort of like grassroots uh, push to, they have pushed these trade unions to, 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 to give solidarity and to commit in favor of the movement. So after a few weeks, most uh, trade unions had declared that they were in favor of the movement, but not all of the uh, all of the unions are now uh, mobilizing in favor. Um, we've but had a sort of like progressive... 
Sorry. It's 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 interesting that it's come under the umbrella of the Gilets Jaunes and not vice versa. That the leadership still yeah. remained, you know, to the extent that there is leadership of this within the Gilets Jaunes umbrella and not that the Gilets Jaunes uh, are following the leadership of the, the unions, for example. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I think there is a sort of uh, um, an attempt to, there's been in the past weeks, an attempt to sort of uh, make the two movements converge, not under the Gilets Jaunes or under the, the trade unions, but to uh, build solidarities between, uh, strategic solidarities between the two movements, because obviously they have a lot of um, of, uh, of interest in common. And so um, on the 2nd of February, there was the first uh, successful general strike organized, co-organized by the Gilets Jaunes and by the Gilets Rouges, so by the red vest and the yellow vest. So the, um, the, the, the trade unions uh, that were participating were CGT, the, the main uh, trade, uh, trade union federation in France, uh, Solidaire and part of uh, France Ouvrière, so to to put it uh, to put it simply, the, the most uh, left-wing uh, uh, unions, and they have been organizing a massive uh, strike and uh, mobilization on the second of uh, February, and uh, an, another another one is is uh, is planned for the I think it's the nineteenth of March if I'm not mistaken. And uh, in the meantime, every Tuesday now, since the 2nd of February, they're organizing jointly the um, what they call the Tuesdays of uh, Social Emergency, which uh, basically consist in uh, blocking commercial ports, uh, logistic hubs, um, factories, and whatever. And so I think it's more a strategic um, um, alliance than really, um, at least that's how they present it. I mean, that's, um, and that seems quite important because that would provide the Gilets Jaunes with much more leverage uh, over the long term than just these street mobilizations, which, I, I mean, I, I would imagine would have to burn out sometime. It can't carry on yeah. forever like this. Um, yeah. And one thing in terms of looking forward and what longevity might have, it's interesting that they continue to reject any leader figures and any institutionalization. So you write in your Jacobin piece about how there's, broadly speaking, resistance to participate in the European elections, either as a Gilets Jaunes party or a sort of Gilets Jaunes candidates in other parties. Uh, the leader figures themselves seem to be in large part sort of opportunist and, and the more, uh, I guess, I, the more less politically radical um, of them. Is that right? That the, those who have put themselves forward as leaders tend to be the most... I guess, mainstream and, and apolitical mm. um, of the leaders. So talk us through this. Who are these self-appointed leaders who end up being rejected by the majority of the Gilets Jaunes? Yes. So basically, since the beginning of the movement, there has been, so there has not been any official leaders of the movement because the movement hasn't been structuring this way. But there has been uh, more prominent figures, figures that were usually basically the the, fa the favorite figures of the media. So they were sort of also media deconstructions, people who got more followed on on Facebook because they were um, they were organizing the the demonstrations on Saturdays. Uh, they were appearing on, on the media. They were doing YouTube videos and so on. Um, some of uh, the initial figures uh, that were the most uh, famous figures uh, have 
uh, in the past weeks tried to uh, sort of uh, structure, to organize in a rather opportunistic way, uh, in my opinion, um, gilets jaunes parties, basically. So we have uh, had an attempt by Jacqueline Moreau, who had been uh, one of the one of the most um, mediatic figure at the beginning of the movement, but who uh, then decided to leave the movement because she considered that it had been um, sort of uh, infiltrated by extremists. And now she has started her own political party called uh, Les Emergents. Uh, but she she is, I, I think she is... Um, uh, sort of delegitimized de 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 uh, within uh, the movement, obviously, because she distanced herself from it. Then uh, there are other, there are, I think, at least five or six different uh, uh, similar attempts by some more or less uh, uh, famous figures of the movement uh, who have been uh, creating lists. There, there's one list called, uh, created by Ingrid de Levavasseur that was supposed to be a European uh, uh, list of, uh, of yellow vests for the for the next uh, European election, but uh, very 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 quickly it became clear that some of the people uh, of the candidates within that list were close to the to Macron's party La République mm. uh, En Marche. Uh, that one of them was very very controversial within the party because he uh, in in December he made declarations saying that the army should take over uh, the, the 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 control of the country. Uh, and so on. Wow. So maybe, maybe um, you should put yourself forward. I think that's you know that's the solution. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm thinking about it. Yes, but uh, no, seriously. So the the figures that are more, um, let's say, uh, consensual within the movements are the ones who reject this kind of uh, political uh, structuring, uh, which appears uh, not only opportunistic but also premature because most uh, gilets jaunes. Uh, at this stage, don't want to um, to create a, a political list for for the European elections. But uh, so two famous figures of the movement are Eric Drouet uh, and Flyriders, who are uh, sort of considered as the leaders of the insurrectional wing of the movement, who continue to organize the the Saturday demonstrations. Uh, there is one gilet jaune who has become quite. Um, Quite mediatic uh, in the in the past weeks, who's called François Boulot, who comes from the from the west of France and who has been basically uh, um, mandated by a few roundabouts in around Rouen um, to to sort of bring the the gilets jaunes uh, message uh, in the in the media because he's a young uh, lawyer he 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 knows how to speak uh, publicly and so. Um, he managed to sort of like uh, to to be accepted within the movement, and and he became quite an important figure. Uh, and he's one of the one of the people pushing more towards uh, uh, sort of alliances with the trade unions because he believes that the only way of for the movement to succeed is to block the economy mm -hmm. and and through through general strike basically. I, th yes. I have another question for you uh, following this. So in terms of the future of this movement, uh, where does Macron stand right now politically? Uh, does he seem to be uh, stronger than he was uh, before the year was out? Does he have uh, his positions solidified? It seems to me that a lot of the framing of it from Macron's side and uh, his allies is framing 
this is the last stand of civilization associated with the EU against the sort of like brown mass, brown meaning sort of fascistic populist mass that sort of is uh, coming up and bubbling to the surface. Do you think this uh, play might work? Is What is Macron's position right now? Well, Macron is uh, hoping, trying by, by all means, by the use of uh, violent uh, police repression, uh, legal judicial repression, and through the organization of this sort of uh, grand debat propaganda, great debate uh, propaganda, he's trying to enforce basically his uh, neoliberal solutions. What is really stunning about, uh, about this movement is that despite... Uh, the, the, the determination of the movement, despite uh, the violence, the government is just uh, determined to keep following its own um, its own neoliberal uh, utopia. Um, but it, it seems quite clear at this point that the popular um, unrest is too strong for Macron to, at least that's my opinion. I don't see how this can really um, really calm down uh, mm. how he can just, I mean, if he wins the, the, the European election, then obviously uh, he will interpret this as, okay, so my program is um, has been uh, legitimized by the vote, so I'm going on with my reforms, and then he will present a new uh, reform of uh, pensions, of um, unemployment uh, uh, benefits, and so on. His, his social base is rather narrow, isn't it? So it's not like he has a huge amount to lean on. He was elected with still a, a pretty slender... Uh, proportion of the votes, you know, I mean, in the first round anyway. Um, yes. So. Yes, but so if he manages to play exactly, that's what he's trying to do now, if he manages to play exactly what he played during the 2017 uh, presidential election campaign, which is a sort of polarization between the populist um, extremes and the progressive uh, Europeanist center, then he might have a chance to, to win the elections again, especially if there is, in the end, a yellow vest um, list at the European elections, because if there is a European uh, yellow vest uh, list, uh, they will mostly take the votes of uh, the, the so-called extremes and, and not of Macron, because his, his uh, slim but uh, determined uh, electorate is still going to vote for him. But I think at this point, there, there are, in, in, the, in the mind of the Gilets Jaunes, there are two possibilities. Either Macron uh, drastically changes his uh, his policies mm -hmm. um, and announces like real drastic changes. Uh, on the 16th of March, the, the great national debate is supposed to finish, and he is supposed to announce what he uh, has. <laughs> Sounds like he's his gonna announce the winner. So the, the winner was yeah, me. Exactly. Well done, me. <laughs> he's going to announce what his conclusions are and what he's going to do. Um, so if he announces some real drastic changes, then that might be a way to, to put an end to this crisis. The other way to put an end to the crisis, obviously, is for him to, to, to step down, to, to resign or to uh, dissolve uh, his government or the assembly, uh, or to organize a referendum and to engage his mandate um, on, uh, the, uh, in the referendum. Um, but otherwise, probably if he, if he doesn't do any of those things, then 
he might we might end up at the European elections uh, with he might end up uh, winning the movement might end up um, sort of uh, disappearing progressively but the anger will still be there so next thing in a few months uh, his next attempt to to impose uh, pension reform or whatever i think most probably what will, would happen is that the the movement would uh, would rise again in in some other form maybe in some um, different or worse forms <laughs> you don't know or so a, a, yeah. a couple of months from now that might be a good moment to put a date in the diary to call you up again to discuss this i didn't expect when we spoke in december <laughs> that we'd be that we'd be continuing and and having the same discussion um, it's it's really fascinating to follow thank you very much ohili very insightful and interesting as always and thank we'll have you, to talk Alex. again soon cheers yes all right listeners you are interested in the future of europe we're interested in the future of europe so why don't you come discuss it with us live we are holding our first live event a live debate in london on the 21st of march details are on facebook twitter instagram uh you can register for the event on bungacast.eventbrite.com if you can't make it follow us online it'll be live casted on all the usual social media and again uh, if you like what we're doing and would like to chip in and help us continue this check out our patreon and donate what you can it is patreon.com slash bungacast and remember to rate and review us on all sorts of social media out there where you can give tasty gold stars out all right thank you catch you later bye bye